Welcome back, everyone, to Arsenal Pass, Time on the Round, episode 24. Today, we're joined by Jason Long. Jason is one of the most successful competitive flesh and blood, blood players to date, with no less than four calling top eights. Jason is infamous for his appearances on stream during the Auckland Calling 2021 Blitz Calling, piloting his OTK Kano um, in the field and also giving us some of the most memorable events we've actually had on camera. Jason, I don't know if you if you know this, but I've coined your nickname, and I think that it's, it's stuck. For You're going to be Jake. Jason Poker Face Long, because nobody can read you. <laughs> but anyway, Jason, thank you so much for joining us. And how are you doing? I, uh, I'm really good, Brendan. I'm really good. Thanks. How are you? We're doing pretty well. Doing pretty well. Pretty um, yeah, I remember I commentated that Blitz Calling, and my favorite matches were definitely yours to watch. And uh, I, I specifically still remember you, you won with the blue snapback, right? Yeah. Out of Arsenal? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, that that was probably because the other matches you commented on were like Power Mirrors, weren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Kane Mirror was definitely my favorite as well. <laughs> yeah. 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 That, anyway, was, that was pretty good. It's like that. Why don't you. Uh, Sorry, uh, you know, the old ball at the top of the deck back in the day. Right? <laughs> yeah. The top deck. Top deck bolt. Yeah. Top deck snap back. Uh, sit in the tank. Find your tone lines. You know, it's, it's all very similar, <laughs> clearly. Jason. Awesome. Uh, we want to start, we usually start with a lot of our guests and talk a little bit of your background to Flesh and Blood. So, you know, Brendan called down the intro, you have, you have four, four calling top eights, uh, which a lot of people probably don't know, because um, you've been a bit quiet this year, but we'll, we'll talk about that. But just in terms of how you got into Flesh and Blood, tell us about it. How did you find out about the game? How did you decide to go to that first calling in Auckland? Yeah, so um, I actually got into the game through some friends who knew um, James White back in the day when he used to run a whole bunch of Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments. Um, so it was, it was actually my mate Logan Boldham and, and Zach Olsen, actually Isaac Olsen, who were the first two that really um, got me involved in it. Um, Logan was really keen to get the guys back together. We used to play a lot of, of Yu-Gi-Oh and um, cards back in the day and taught us about this new game that was coming out. Um, I was sort of like, oh, yeah, this could be fun. We'll go up and we'll just sort of revisit our old, our old uh, not childhood, but teenage years where we used to go to Auckland, you know, Go around to the uh, hire out like a, a backpackers, just go there and probably maybe make some events if we didn't drink too much the night before and, and have a bit of fun. So that was sort of really the first um, thing that drew me into it was basically just getting back and playing some cards with friends again, which was which was pretty cool. Um, yeah, so we went up to that calling event. Um, didn't hadn't really played too much. We just did a few sort of you know seals and drafts the night before. Um, Went to the went to the event and somehow ended up making the the top eight and from there it was um, I sort of just really enjoyed the game. It was just such a a, a fun, um, enjoyable, quite you know high skill cap game and it really just appealed to me after that first event. Um, and you know it, it was also there was a fair bit of um, money as well at the time. You know there was good there was good prizes then, and I basically just used that prize money pretty much to. Um, go and travel to the next calling, which is over in the um, over in Australia. So went over there and caught up with with Hayden, and um, somehow managed to make top eight again. And it kind of just from there, it sort of just snowballed a little bit, and just started really getting into it, having a bit of fun, playing some card games, trying to trying to work the game out because you know back then no one really knew anything, and that to me was the one of the real big appeals to the game back then was um, not knowing what was good and what wasn't good and just trying to work that out and that was that was honestly the um the thing that i liked most about about the game back then really yeah yeah one, one of my favorite facts jason is um those first two limited callings which were welcome to wraith sealed into welcome to wraith draft 
You opened the uh, the same card in the top eight of both of those events. You opened the legendary. You opened tectonic plating in both those drafts and got swayed yeah. by the legendary, by the you know the, the glint in your eyes, and drafted. I would say two pretty questionable decks off the back of that. Yeah, I mean, I both of those drafts, I did not want to play Guardian. I did not. I just hated Bravo. Like it was my it was the least favorite class out of all of the Dread Heroes. And each of those drafts, I pack one, pick one, got a, got a cold four tectonic plating. I was like, well. You know, uh, maybe I'll play this card. It was actually real funny. The first calling, I didn't even know what it did. I didn't even really know how it worked. Like, I, and I, I sort of thought actually that you activate it and it didn't have go again for some reason. So like, <laughs> I had never played the card before. Um, so that was kind of funny. And then the second one, um, yeah, I drafted again, real questionable deck. I really wanted to go ninja again, get Gokatsu um, in that draft. And somehow I yeah, pulled another one and um, managed to scrub out yet again with the legendary. And if you'd gone Katsu, you would have been the only Katsu drafter in that, that calling top eight. Uh, because famously that calling top eight had no Katsu drafters, had three, three people drafting Guardian, four people drafting Warrior, and and uh, you know, or two two people drafting Warrior, whatever it was, and two people drafting Brute. So no. Uh... That's a very yeah. welcome to Wraith split, yeah. though. In the early days, people thought that Katsu sucked, <laughs> but which is funny. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some people obviously were wrong, but I think that the general, like, if you looked at like the meta breakdowns back then, like the general consensus, and especially in Seal, was like. People really thought Katsu was bad and sealed, and then not a lot of people drafted it because they had, I guess, like almost no reps. I think visiting the format again um, later, Katsu's <clears throat> probably my favorite hero and one of the ones I think is easy, the easiest to force, which is funny. Yeah, I mean, I think part of that was to do with the fact that people didn't really know how to play against Warrior, and so Warrior was really strong, and that was probably the worst matchup for Katsu. So there was a lot of Warrior players back then, I think, which kind of skewed that a little bit. Mm, yeah, people definitely forced it and sealed. On the back of that, Jason, just while we're while we're talking about, you know, me and Brendan, well, Brendan likes to refer to us as the as the welcome track boomers. Uh, you are definitely one of those, Jason. So, what's your <laughs> hot topic right now? What's your thoughts on welcome track going out of print? Um, I mean, it's been around a long time. I I feel like it probably is time for it to go out of print. You know, it's been what twenty four months of welcome to Wraith. I yeah. I challenge you to find too many other um, card games that have had a you know, a basic set in print for that long. Um, and I think, you know, there's so much of that product out there now. Um, and it sounds like Legend Story Studios are going to be reprinting a lot of the cards that people are most keen on, the most expensive cards. So I don't really have any any issues with it, to be honest. All right, well, there you go. Do you have it, Jason? Jason's fine with it. Uh, he can't pull another tectonic plating in a pack one, pick one of a draft, but he's, he's okay with it. He's fine with it. He'll move on. So... Yeah. Jason, you have the two calling top eights, right? The limited callings. You got Auckland and you travel to Sydney. And you pick up two gold tunics along the way. Very nice. Uh, and yeah. then there's the first of a constructor calling, right? Which is, I think, February of 2020 ends up being the first constructor calling. Um, what do you play and um, and how does it go for you? Um, so, yeah, in that, in that first constructor event, I played Katsu. But um, traditionally, a lot of Katsu decks were pretty mid-range back then. It was a fairly, you know, they were just playing a lot of the good cards. They were playing all of the, the good defense reactions. Um, they were playing, uh, yeah, a lot more blues than what I was playing in my version of the deck. And they were more, more about just Kodachi, Kodachi, fire off like an E-Strike or fire off something. The deck that I played in that tournament was a lot more combo-based. Um, it ran six Razor Reflexes, which I think is probably the most Razor Reflexes in the deck that have ever been played. Um <laughs> Actually, if you go look at my deck list, it's actually got nine. It says that I've got six red razor repeats, which I would have really done. But <laughs> That'd be pretty but, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that'd be good. But anyway, so that yeah, that was a that was a really interesting tournament. That was sort of the first tournament where 
Um, Sasha Markovic really uh, brought home the fatigue ninja deck. Um, and it just really punished a lot of those mid-range decks that were just on this kind of, I'm going to semi-grind you out and just play good cards playing. And he's like, well, I'm just going to wait till you run out of your good cards and then I'll win the game. So I actually think that my deck was probably had one of the, the better matchups against that version of the deck because it was basically just, uh, it just ran a lot of uh, attack-based cards and was not as easy to fatigue. Um, but, I mean, that, that tournament was really, it was a really cool, really cool tournament. I really enjoyed that. Um, I was happy with the deck that I played. Um, I managed to make top eight just um, beating, I think I think I beat Jacob Pearson in the second to last of the last round to get there, which was pretty sweet. Uh, pretty happy with that. Got a got a natural uh, Mugenshi combo into a natural Mugenshi combo the turn after, which was pretty good against Bravo. So yes. I was a little, it was pretty high variance, but you know, it's, uh, it just happens sometimes. Um, but yeah, no, it was uh, it was a really really awesome event, and um, it, it was sort of the first event where I felt people started to have a good understanding of the game, and that a lot of the good players really, you know, the cream sort of went to the the top of the that particular um, event, and a lot of yeah, a lot of good players made top eight. Oh. It, was, it was really cool. did they? Because you know, someone else was in that room from the three of us here. It wasn't me, but they didn't make top eight, so. I mean, <laughs> Brennan, you heard it here. But you two were in the same room. Did you two actually meet at that, at that event? I don't know. You two were in the same uh, room? No, we did not. I definitely, um, I knew a deck he was playing, but I didn't meet him or I didn't meet Jason. I didn't play against him. I actually lost to, so I lost to the same person that Sasha lost to, um, Mark, on a sort of aggressive kind of mid-range ninja deck. I think he might have mm. top it as well. And then I lost to Sasha <laughs> in, the, uh, in the mirror. So... Yeah, yeah. I, I kind of bubbled out there, but it's all good because I was happy to see the deck sort of make it, which is funny because that, yeah, that deck, was, I really enjoyed kind of innovating in that format and having that deck mm -hmm. and, you know, having this big surprise. And I just, yeah. there's nothing more in flesh and blood that I hate than fatigue nowadays. <laughs> I tell you what, the only tournament I've won, and I, I hate to say it, but it was playing Fatigue Ninja and I absolutely hated it. I, will yeah. I, was about to, I was about to bring that up that that road to nationals that um that's that's a great story though because crucible yeah. drops and then jason goes what deck do i play literally the weekend crucible drops and and isaac is like just play fatigue ninja and i'm like yeah just play fatigue ninja no one will play like people will play so many warriors because they want to play the spoils of war and stuff yeah, yeah it was literally, literally, a, it was literally a, a tournament full of dash and warrior players and i was like sweet this is just a free roll to it. yeah the dash players not dash but uh warriors yeah. yeah yeah for the warriors oh i think there was dash but they hadn't worked out like how good purifier was yet right yeah 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 you were good you were good but yeah so obviously top eight there um i actually it's funny as well i just wanted to say brendan i actually got jason on so that we have the two biggest proponents of ninja and ninja control ninja turtle on the planet in a call together so we can yeah. we can record that i just wanted people will love that brendan gets some more chance to talk about you know fatigue ninja um or ninja turtle if you you know drink up yeah um, <laughs> I actually despise that deck and the strategies that have spawned from it, um, which I don't think will. I think they'll be hopefully become less and less a thing in flesh and blood. But uh, we, I guess there's a sort of recency bias after coming out of a chain meta and then also fatigue being a popular strategy versus lightning briar. We've seen a lot of fatigue in flesh and blood. Sometimes, I mean, most of the time not to success, but sometimes, you know, um, it does have its spot in the meta, which kind of hurts, hurts my soul. Yeah, I mean, I kind of, I, I, I actually don't mind it being the meta, in the meta, and the main reason I say that is, uh, but like after that that format, I guess my favorite like 
deck to play with and against was actually chain against fatigue just because of how awesome that uh it feels to set up the bottom of your deck and just absolutely destroy them and i feel like uh i just love that that is an aspect of this game that can be you know um that you can do and i think that i think it's something that, that that's a bit unique the fact that you can literally stack your deck legally in this game and um just yeah it adds a real skill element that i do like but i having said that i also hate the it's good to actually springboard off of that because like hayden said and i think i'm sure we'll get into this more and said you've kind of taken a break so what do you think about the evolution of flesh and blood as a game since you've kind of taken a step back because we have seen more variants faster formats and less relevance in the second cycle of the deck obviously chain was um definitely an exception to that because he kind of turboed to that second cycle what if that is your favorite part of the game and you do find a lot of satisfaction for from beating your opponents, from setting up your second cycle, reducing variance, and just kind of having this master plan. What do you think of the game in its current state where that has been significantly less relevant than it was in the past? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, um, that is, that, that's, not, yeah, I guess that, that troubles me because I don't like, I don't, the, that was again the worst, the best and the worst thing about Chain, in my opinion, was the fatigue mirror was, the fatigue matchup was just so good. But the chain mirror was just so terrible because it's literally the exact opposite. You're just literally relying on variance the entire time. Um, and whoever draws better just kind of wins. And that was... If Legends Story Studios can come up with a way to remove that part of it but keep the second part, then that's where I'd love to see it go. But I don't know if they can do that very easily. Yeah, and I think that a lot of this is... Um, I think some of the main reasons for it is like the premier decks in both Monarch and, um, well, I guess you could call Tales of Aria. It's not totally finished yet, so we can't really put close the book on it. But I would say that the premier decks were just hyper aggressive decks. Mm-hmm. Um, so the meta really warped around that. And, you know, in Monarch, it was either you played like Fatigue into it or you played another aggro deck that was either Chain or, you know, something else that was trying to race it, which was probably pretty tough most of the time. And with Lightning Briar, there's more diversity in the meta, um, at least in the, what was succeeding in the meta, right? Like there was a ton of there was a ton of Briar, but there's other decks succeeding, but still, you know, Briar forced a lot of decks to not be able to get to the second cycle and just ultra proactive like Chain was. You you're forgetting one deck though. Like you do have this format where all time is is a pretty viable deck and a pretty strong strategy. And that deck is cycling in that matchup sometimes. And we just, you know, we showed it on camera this week four or five times uh through its its deck, right? So I, I I do agree, but I do think this actually the meta we're in now post the chain, post like the early sort of Tales of Ari meta feels a bit more diverse from that that regard yeah, in terms I, of I agree. things seeing second cycle, etc. But I would, I, you know me, I complain about this enough. I want to see second cycle more because I think it's like one of the, the most sort of interesting things about Flesh and Blood is this idea of the second cycle, mm-hmm. right, to Jason's point. Yeah. I think if you take like a, it's interesting to get the perspective of a person that's kind of coming out of the the time capsule of Welcome to Wraith and uh, Crucible of War and be like, okay, you know, put them immediately into this time period of Tales of War. And it's like, the game feels much different, right? Like back in Crucible and especially Welcome to Wraith, it was, um, we just didn't have as many tools, right? There was, there was as many synergies. So it was very grindy. Yeah. So saying that, right. So Jason, you, you finished that sort of that early, that first season of callings um, and then the constructor calling. And then later that year, you know, obviously, COVID, but then post sort of COVID, New Zealand starts to get back some normality, and you have nationals. So I think yeah. one of two countries to actually get nationals in the first the first year of uh, Flesh and Blood nationals. And I had the pleasure of you know testing with you and and Isaac, the three of us, um, put our heads together, and I think came up with some pretty cool decks for that format. 
um, a Viscerai deck that never unfortunately saw the light of day. Because <laughs> Isaac Audible to the to the Ryan Isaac, which I actually think was a, a, such a in, in retrospect such a great choice. Just unfortunate with some of the pairings, but um, tell us about the the deck that you played at uh, New Zealand Nationals, and and that event was pretty pretty close, right? I think you were like one or two wins out of top eight. Yeah, so I made I made I made top sixteen. I think I ended up tenth in that event, um, but I sort of uh, went into the last round knowing I probably couldn't get there. But um, yeah, so I played uh, Claw Claw in that in that uh, calling, and at that time I don't think that was that particular deck was on anyone's anyone's radar really there was a lot of mid-range reiner there was a lot of bravo a bit of bravo a um, lot of dash warrior some ninja um and really we built that deck to beat this like dash mid-range reiner bravo meta because honestly i felt that they had at least a 60 to 70 probably potentially even higher uh mm-hmm. when raiding against those decks it was just so explosive on those turns and there was just not a lot that they could do you know you would be able to kill them from half their life total a lot of the time and uh, it was a fair, it was fairly consistent as well um so that i mean that was a really good tournament unfortunately in that tournament the only dash i played was uh my final round where i couldn't top eight uh, i made up for it though by getting a, a triple blood rush fellow turn off which um Kiki always hates to bring up but um yeah, that was that was the only dash in that in that um, field that I played, which was really unfortunate. I really wanted to play quite a bit of that, and I think it was like twenty five to thirty percent of the field too. So it was pretty, it's pretty unlucky. I also managed to, of course, uh, get paired up against Isaac uh, in about round three, which was, uh, you know, again really unfortunate. And um, the other the other losses I had, uh, so I did face a, a ninja earlier on. Um, Nick Anderson, who's a pretty good ninja player, um, that lost him early on, and uh, at the very end, unfortunately, got beaten by by John playing Warrior, which again is another sort of really close matchup. Um, mm. But yeah, it was a really another, another really good event, and I was really happy with the deck we chose. And and to be honest, again, that was uh, you know going back to the point I made earlier, that was the thing that I really loved about Fish Fisherbug back then was just being able to come up with decks that people hadn't really, you know, um, went went on at all, and and really come and just surprise the field yeah yeah that that event i mean no one no one that event saw that deck coming that was it was a clause deck that you know tried to combo blood rush bellows but also played art of war to like turbo out those blood rush bellows and and make your attacks go wider and yeah like it was this kind of like semi-combo aggro deck right which now it's turned into just kind of the clause decks you see now where mostly doesn't play out of war but um at the time like you know people just hadn't really seen that beast within had just been printed which was a pretty you know pretty strong card massacre had just been printed allowed you to do these pretty silly turns right so yeah i was glad that deck um went out i was i was gutted that you didn't quite make the top eight but yeah it was yeah. uh i wish there was coverage so i could have seen seen the event as well yeah 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 that was pretty that was pretty cool then yeah so obviously you have that and then the next deck that you kind of i guess come up with um or like the strategy you come up with is, is there's a blitz calling and you know at the national side event actually that you just played in kano wins the the blitz pro quest um to win a pci and yeah. the blitz format starts to starts to i guess come together um you know they have the the blitzathon that lss do if you've never seen this um lss in their first year anniversary to this blitzathon event where they got uh, a bunch of you know uh, players in new zealand um jason i think you were there um yeah. you know went up to auckland and played against the devs in this big challenge um and you know that kind of started to i guess bring together this idea of the blitz format which had just been released at that time uh, late 2020 into early 2021 Kano and Ira, they're kind of like the two decks to beat, I guess. And then you head into this Blitz calling in February, you know, of, of this year. It's crazy to think that that was this year, 
Like it feels yeah. like it was a lifetime that ago. Wild, actually, that's <laughs> crazy. Because yeah, of everything wow. that's happened, and you know, now the the North American calling scene, and we've just had you know nationals, and but yeah, that was that was this year. That was only eight or what nine months ago that uh, the blitz calling happened. Mm. So Jason, you go there, but you play you decide to take Kano, but not just like not just regular Kano, right? Like you have a bit of a strategy of how you want to beat the Iras, with Ira being probably the best deck in the format at the time. Yeah, so that that calling was probably you know I. Yeah, I, I've talked about a lot during a lot of events, but I think it was probably my, my favorite one. Um, the preparation for that event was was really good. You know, um, we we knew that going into it that Kano was a pretty good deck, and that um, the Iron Matcher was a bit tricky uh, with the traditional way that it had been played out. Um, and a lot of uh, there was a fair bit of like uh, ninja, uh, sorry, warrior and stuff going around too. So it was quite a sort of almost rock, paper, scissory format where you had to be able to beat um, beat Warriors, but you also had to be able to beat Iras, and it was quite a different game plan that you needed to have there. Um, and I'd sort of heard, you know, people and um, people had talked about back in actually uh, Arcane Rising days before Dash got really strong that you could actually fatigue um, and, and you could fatigue OTK combo with Kano back then. And if you actually go back and look at some of the deck lists, it's quite interesting. Um, Matt Rogers actually plays in some of them, like an Arrhenius Prayer and stuff like that. And I believe it's because that he actually knew that that was a, a potential counter to, to Dash. So it's actually quite interesting to go back and look at that. There's just some random some deck lists back then where that was done. But anyway, so I sort of heard about it back then, and basically that spawned the idea for me to just try and see if that was possible against Iron Blitz. And um, it turned out it, it was, um, and it was especially good when they weren't on the more aggressive versions, which you see now. Um, they sort of were running like sigils, and they were running less aggressive cards. Um, no room four, and yeah, yeah, running no room four, no no snapdragons and stuff like that, because they, their game plan was pretty much to just 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 fatigue them out. But you know, and effectively, I just came up with a a, a plan, which was a, a particular set of cards on the bottom of your deck. And when you play them in, in the correct sequence, um, you could guarantee deal 28 damage through Nolrun, and that was effectively the deck against Ira. And that was, I guess, the start of that particular um, particular project, was to just try and see if you could beat Ira with that. And turn out you could. And then the sort of caveat to that was you also have to make sure your deck is good against um, Wizard and, um, and Warrior. And that was kind of like the 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 balance of the deck right you know i could fill my deck with like sun kiss and sigil and i'd probably 100 percent be ira every time but you'd never beat warrior with that and you'd never beat the mirror with that so we sort of got on this um going back to the tone plan and we put in a few like niche kind of defense reaction cards like there's um you know your unmovable blue in there and then also the the whisper of the oracle which just turbos you did the bottom of the deck faster and then that's sort of what we decided to go on we actually tweaked a few cards early on in the event um and that's what we played and going into that event, you know, I was actually really hyped for, for Dan in that event because, you know, as I've sort of talked about, my, like, I, I feel like I'm not that great of a card player. I feel like my success has mostly been attributed to uh, understanding the game, like developing decks and coming up with good medicals at the time. Uh, I mean, in, in the constructive format anyway, the early days of, of Welcome to Race Seal was just a bit, a bit weird. But, um, but yeah, so I was actually really hyped for Dan, and we both got really close to both making the top eight, which would have been awesome. Um, unfortunately, the way it played out, he made a couple of mistakes, got unlucky. I made a couple of mistakes and got lucky, and, and that was sort of it. That's how I made top eight, pretty much. 
yeah yeah i mean you can i if you ever are looking for some blitz matches and you want to watch go and watch uh, you have to listen to me and brendan unfortunately because we did commentary on that so i apologize in advance but you can go and watch uh, jason rack his mind and pull out almost all his hair trying to work out how he can get his uh, his otk combo off uh in the the last round of swiss and i think in the top eight as well um but that last round of swiss the blue snapback is like it's pretty pretty phenomenal in the mirror so um, i think it's like a second to round last round or last round of swiss in that uh that 20 21 blitz calling is actually pretty cool <laughs> yeah it's important yeah. to note as well that the ira deck that jason was facing was different than probably what a lot of our listeners have actually played against because this was yeah. the uh the old the og list that was running uh dreaded brutality so it's a lot different um yeah but yeah, it was uh, it was definitely it was very dominant <laughs> in that tournament. There was so many IRAs. Yeah, I think I think the top eight was literally six IRA, Jason on Kano, and uh, a warrior player. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. you know, Jason, Jason had the ticket, had the number, and you know, Jason could could have won that. Could have won that. I had to bring it back up. Jason could have won that quarterfinal. Very close. Uh well, I I had the win. I just couldn't uh, work out the, what the one my day was. Sequence, anymore. yeah, yeah, yeah. It was it was a tough. It was a long. That was a long day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The old. This is this is also something that anybody who's playing nowadays is not used to. Is that Collins Collins used to be like twelve, fifteen hour events. They were ridiculous because yeah. yeah, the delays good. were. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah, that was round yeah. thirteen. I think you were playing at that point on the day. 14 even i think it was like in at night or something as well yeah. i don't know I what <laughs> sounds about right yeah. yeah um but no i mean that 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 deck that you did play it looks very different i think you know that the call at that time for that event was like the perfect thing right like people didn't really know that you would have a movable blue they were like people just signed you know like they were continuing to play needle they'd run needle into your yeah. movable blues you could then slow the yeah. game right down if they did try and be aggressive and you could stack your deck and so on and so yeah. on um you know like just a, a great call at the time obviously i wouldn't be advocating people to go out and put a movable blue into their uh their candidates now although maybe it would catch some people off guard uh if you did it for one event but yeah, <laughs> be, yeah. It might not be i mean it's, uh, yeah it was it was different times um yeah and it, yeah it wouldn't work it wouldn't work now the thing that was quite good about it is we managed to keep it fairly secret from what everyone no one really knew that's what we were doing going into the event so yeah that was, that was quite quite important there as well so then you you take a bit of a, a break, Jason. Not not necessarily, you know, on purpose. There's the calling in June uh, that we we all, I was there, you were there uh, in Auckland. You've been to actually yeah. all the callings in the Southern Hemisphere. Um, so it's not like yeah. you've just been not playing fair, but there's been I guess less opportunity. Um, you I don't did you I don't think you played any road to nationals, right? Just due to you know uh, like busyness and how busy your life schedule is. Yeah, well, I mean. Yeah, yeah. My, my first child during the end of the year, which has sort of uh, changed my priorities a little bit. But um, yeah, um, I, I guess I did. A, yeah, I did do two road to nationals, but I sort of didn't. Really, I, I had the opportunity to maybe try and and grind for a nationals invite or use one of my PTIs, but uh, I think it's probably worked out for the best because the timing's not really going to work out. But uh, yeah, I did. So I did play two two road to nationals, the ones that were going to be in Christchurch, but ended up being over over. Um, yeah, Discord like video or cam, yeah, cam yeah. Play, you um, which sort of, sort of wasn't ideal, and ended up yeah, decided to play chain in those particular events, and didn't quite get there. There was some yeah, some interesting matchups I played up against, and lost the, lost one of the mirrors. Um, I think that was kind of the one of the first weekends where the that dash aggro deck was being brought out, and it wasn't something that I was familiar with. Lost, I lost. That was the three of my losses were to that deck on the weekend, and then the other one was to a mirror in, in the last round for a win. And then, um, but yeah, no, I was yeah. I, I haven't really played too much of that 
format since then. And I haven't really played much of Aria at all, to be honest. Yeah. So in saying that, I know you just said, you know, you've, you've got your first child due into this year. Again, congratulations. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a, it's going to be a, you know, some sleepless nights, I'm sure. So you, January nationals yeah. isn't going to be on the, the cards for you, but heading into next year, you have, I mean, you have, I think the second most PTIs of anyone in flesh and blood, you have four PTIs. So you're, yeah. you're basically set if you want to play the first year and a bit of professional events, worlds, you know, pro tours. Yeah. So what, what is your, everyone, you know, we got to know what's your, what's your plan? You're sitting there with four PTIs. Are you going to bank them and just take some time away from the game still? Or are you planning to, to come back to the game sort of mid next year? Like, what does it look like for you? I mean, honestly, I, I, I don't know. There's like quite, there's just so much stuff I've got going on at the moment that I, I really don't know. I would like to like, uh, yeah, and I'm not, I haven't looked at all the dates or everything, but I would love to plan a trip over to the States and just, um, cause I imagine there'll be one there. Um, and it, but it kind of just depends as well on the yeah the exact location and the time. And to be honest, they may have released some more information on that. I haven't actually looked at it. Don't worry, they so, haven't. They haven't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I didn't think so. So I guess it's sort of going to depend a bit on that, uh, what the plan is, because um, yeah, uh, I'd, I'd love to go and attend all of those events and probably play them all. Um, but yeah, we'll just see what happens, I suppose. Um, any, anything could happen at this point. You've got to be at the first Worlds, though, right? Probably. I mean, yeah. Look, I'll, 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 I'll be at the first worlds. I think. I think. I don't think I could miss that particular event. All right, I locked in. Be... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't know where it is. I don't know if I can get there. What if I'm locked down? I don't know. No, it doesn't matter. No, no. You be. I, I heard it's going to be in um, Hawaii. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm sure I could. I'm sure I could um, swing the misses a trip to Hawaii. I don't think. So. Not sure. I'm just. I'm just. I'm just making that up. Yes. Just, just to be clear. I'm. I'm <laughs> I haven't heard anything. I'm just making that up. Yeah. Yeah. First, it's in Hawaii. <laughs> but you know it could be well yeah, yeah. yeah good, good to good to hear i guess in terms of what i mean that's the thing like you you have these ptis it's not like you have to use them immediately right they're not for set events which is the cool thing i think about how the at least yeah. how the pti system is working at the moment is that you know should life circumstances not allow you to to play for the next six months then you come back into the game six months down the track uh and use those ptis for whichever events you like um which is yeah i think it's, i think it's a cool thing um yeah wanted to ask about you know we've talked about your history in flesh and blood and and what's and what that's looked like your events and um the decks that you've you've been influential in creating we've got a new set that's about to drop right we've got everfest coming very soon just after new zealand nationals as a you know as an, an og katsu and, and kano player are there things that you're hoping to see from everfest i know you you haven't played as much tales of Aria, but you've you've seen tales of Aria. i know you've you've um, played a few armories and stuff since it's come out but what about everfest what are you expecting what do you want from everfest the, the all-important question uh, i guess uh, yeah it's a, it's a it's a hard one because I, I think that you could go kind of two ways right like you could just increase the power level of everything or you could print cards to try and make what everyone's doing currently harder to achieve and like you know, for instance, they you know it, they could they could print some sort of fairly heavy control card, which may restrict the ability to just only have reds in your deck, um, which is kind of what I see the Briar and um, uh, and and even um, the chain decks doing at the moment. They're fairly they're fairly aggressive um, without a lot of defensive blue cards, I guess you call them. Um, but I think I would like to see a, a catch-up mechanic of some description where there were some powerful cards printed for the existing heroes to just give them an opportunity to shine at the moment because it just feels like currently the power level of those two decks, Chain and Briar in particular, is is pretty high and there's not 
that much reason to play other heroes in my opinion at the moment you want something for your for your katsu you want something for your kano i know brendan is hanging out for some wizard cards yeah i mean i you know just looking at the meta currently it feels like wizard wouldn't need much for it to be a a force and that like i you know you already look at briar and i imagine that they don't run a lot of blue cards they're not going to be able to lock a lot of arcane that you're firing off anyway and to me, it would it wouldn't take much for them to to increase the power level of their deck enough for that it would that it could become something that's um that could see the light of day again, I suppose. Yeah, g- give you three more sonic booms and you might be on your way. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good. That would be very nice. So there's there's like a bit of a people talk about wizard right, and there's this bit of like it's not criticism, but it's like a, a fear that people have right is that or this this thought process that if you raise the power level of Kano and classic constructors, so you give it a few tools to to compete maybe and um and, and be a bit stronger, that you you make it unbalanced in blitz, right? Like it just becomes unstoppable in blitz in the best deck. What are, what do you guys think about that, Brendan? What do you think about that sort of like I guess critique that people have? I mean, it's possible, right? But uh I'm okay. If if it was necessary to make the deck, I don't know, more viable. Um and this is theoretically. Then I'd be okay with there being cards that were only legal in certain formats, like there is with Dustblade, although that's not ideal. Uh, but I don't think the Blitz is actually the issue. Um, and I can't really say where my information source is on this, but I think, from what I understand, the issue with Wizard is that, you know, it does have a really funky position in the meta right now. Like, your issue is less the decks that you're targeting, but all the decks that you're not. Um, it's just hard to have really solid matchups into everything and be super consistent in an open field. But I've heard that there is a particular person at Legend Story Studios that no matter what cards come out, you know, whether it's in uh, Monarch or Tales of Vara, he just keeps winning with Wizards. So <laughs> the, you know, the theoretical power level on that class is just so high that it's hard to add more to it. Interesting. Well, there you go. <clears throat> Take it well. Yeah, say, they just win the Nationals, that. right? They just win the Nationals. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, true. There you go. All right. What else, Jason? What else are you looking for? So. You know, you're talking about whether there's cards. You want some catch-up cards, right? Like you say, for, for I guess, you know, Welcome to Race and Arcane Heroes in particular. What, like, what what sort of cards could they look like? Are you talking about, you know, just general power level of cards? Or are you talking about really specific things that maybe work synergistically um, with mechanics already existing? Or are you thinking new, new mechanics for these heroes? Um, I mean, I think, I, I don't necessarily think they can, I mean, they could release a new mechanic, but I think that that wouldn't be what... I would. I, I don't expect them to do that. I suppose like a brand new mechanic for each each class. They could do that. I guess. I mean, for Ninja, I suppose it would probably be another powerful like in-game combo line. I mean, you already have Lord of Wind, right? Um, and and the Mugenshi interaction, which is really strong. But the other combo lines, while they're good, they're nowhere near as good as that. And I think if you release another combo, like another potential combo line that worked, maybe with both, maybe with two of the starting combos i don't know maybe there's one that's like if you've played rising knee or whelming or whelming gust wave you can play this combo card and it combos off of either of those something like that could be very powerful because it wouldn't matter what you start with at that point uh, you can always end on a, a really powerful um on a combo something like that would be really good i mean for wizards i think it really needs another scaling card i mean you've got um you've got fork lightning and you've got um aether flare but I would really love another scaling mechanic because I think that would really punish the aggro decks more. I mean, you think about Briar's Worst Nightmare is probably Aetherflare, right? It just can't block it and it just doubles your next attack. So if there's another of that type of card that is quite um, 
powerful and easy to, you know, and as, as of a similar costing, I think that would be quite quite good in that matchup. In terms of what it might need for the slower matchups, um, I mean, yeah, it's quite an interesting thing because you, if there was a way to more reliably get to the second stage of your deck as Kano, that would be quite interesting to print because it would allow you to just work around those fatigue mechanics that, well, those fatigue type decks and get to the bottom and actually set up something that they can't just block through. I think that would be quite quite cool. Um, or again, they could just print something similar to Fork Lightning where you just have, it, it just buffs the damage enough that they can't just block it with four. Um, yeah. Uh, four Nora. And I think either of those two, like some of those things there would be would be quite quite beneficial for both those decks. I think. Yeah. Yeah, I love talking to Jason about uh, theory on design of this game because Jason has some of my favorite theories so far. And you actually, I remember um, when you were writing for Channel Fireball, you wrote a few articles like this. And I, wanna, I want you to share the story because it's one of my favorites. So there was a discussion early on about what the strongest legendary was in Welcome to Wraith. And you and Isaac Olsen had a, a big disagreement. You thought, it was, you thought it was Mask of Momentum, right? Well, he thought it was Mask of Momentum. No, he thought it was Mask of Momentum, yeah. Right? And you thought it was Scabskin Leathers, right? All right, you got to explain so, yeah. this to us. Which which one is ultimately the strongest legendary in Welcome to Wraith, and and how did you do this thought experiment? Because this is this went on for weeks. This thought experiment, right? Well, yeah, it was yeah, it was quite it was quite interesting. So we we just had we just started I just started randomly thinking about um, it wasn't so much it sort of morphed from scabskin leathers to if you would have an extra card in your hand, and it basically came down to what would you prefer to have in a turn of Welcome to Wraith? Would you prefer an extra action point, or would you prefer another card in your hand? Um, and I guess that was, so, and then we basically just, we just talked about this for a, for a long period of time. We talked about a lot of decks. So, so my sort of thinking and argument around it was, um, for a deck, like say, uh, Dorinthia, you or you can always use an extra action point to threaten your, your weapon swing. And it just completely changes the way that you can build that deck. You no longer need to put second action point cards in your deck. You can just fill it with a strong strong attacks um a lot of the cards that are printed in flesh and blood currently are balanced around only having one action point so cards like snatch just become super broken if you always just have an extra action point and i guess funnily enough um you know you've now got the situation where you have briar who <laughs> yeah, gets that do have the extra turn, so uh, no longer a thought process know. yeah they printed go again on a hero named chain yeah exactly yeah they like doing uh, that actually does this go on on demand go against so do you reckon we get yeah. five intellect next? I mean, we I could. Know. Only if it's a rune blade, right? Only if it's a rune. Only if it's not a rune blade, please. Oh, yeah. But you, you actually, you and Isaac played some games, right? Where you had an extra yeah. action point and, and Isaac had five cards and you to, to yeah, like yeah. to we play out your thought decks. experiment. Yeah, yeah, so we made some decks and he, he ended up playing. Um, he actually played a ninja deck, so it had Masco Momentum and the extra card, and then I had played Durant there with an extra extra point. So that was kind of fun. It ended up being being pretty close, but um, I think he ended up he did end up winning that game in the end. Uh, but it was it was a pretty cool experiment to just sit, sort of see and and like um yeah 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 that was that was that was yeah it was a really interesting thought experiment. I think it was fairly fairly even and balanced in the end, and it and it kind of makes sense if you think about a lot of the cards that are currently printed a lot of them do just say gain an extra action point and that particular effect is quite powerful yeah this is this is what um yeah if you have five cards you can also play the extra action point if you want at some point play the lead the charge or whatever is your extra card but this is, these yeah. are the these are the things that used to happen when there was not events to test for the testing team would just dissolve into 
Yeah, but what if this what if this thought experiment was true? What if Legend Story Studios did this? And then, you know, yeah. what if there was a, a combo? Uh, your favorite one, the combo card that plays off of two starters. That's been going around for a long time. You, I remember you wrote an article about that as well. You're like, oh, what if what if it works this way? I think when you got the preview card, because you had a maybe a preview card for like Rushing River or like Mind Center or one of those cards from Crucible, or you saw that card and then you're like, what if it works off like two combo lines? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not to be. Yeah, oh uh, yeah, I think that would be that would be very, very we've got a long way to making Katsu more consistent. I think, and that's that's potentially what it what it what it needs. Um, the other thing I did, I did. You may not have seen this particular article, but I was sort of talking about what would happen if they just printed a whole bunch of um, ravenous rebels and uh, out of war in a deck, and that's also kind of where we are now, which I thought was quite funny before before prior was released. Uh, so it's 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 funny how some of the things that uh, you, you you think about and talk about uh, ended up being. Uh, Getting, getting brought into the game. What was your conclusion if there was a deck full of rebels, Revenant's rebels, and Art of Wars? Well, well, basically, I was just saying that um, that what what was going to happen with the game when we got to that point, and I can't, and that was kind of what the article was was a little bit about. And I was like, you know, we, we talk about where the, where the where the meta game was currently, and it was, I think, it was pre, uh, it was definitely pre Tales, like it might have even been pre mm. uh, Monarch. But it was basically just saying, you know, we currently have some of these decks that are aggressive and they're running a lot of mediocre cards in an, in an aggro deck. And now we're in a situation where there's not that many mediocre aggro cards and you can just fill your deck with with scaling and um, aggressive cards. And it's very difficult to just block that and fatigue it out um, because of the, yeah, the quality of your deck now. There you go. A man ahead of his time. Saw it coming. <laughs> There we go. All right. Well, I wanted to throw to Brennan to see if uh, he wanted to, you know, ask anything of Jason before we, we kind of wrap it up. Um, Brennan. Sure. So you said you haven't played much Tales, right? What do you think about the Tales of Aria format? And what do you think about Runeblade as a class? And when I talk about as a class, I talk about the you know, Runeblade is Flesh and Blood's experiment to push design because we've seen the dominance of Runeblade. And I would argue that there's part of this that's, not even, I don't know, publicly accepted by most of the players in the community. And that's it. Obviously, Chain is very good in Monarch. Obviously, Briar was very good and is very good in Tails. But I also think the Viserai is like probably one of the best decks, if not the best deck in the format. So, like, all of the Rune Blades, Rune Blades have just been dominating for, I guess it's only like half a year, but it does feel like quite a while. Yeah. I mean, I guess from my perspective, it hasn't actually been. If you think, if you look at the progression of the game, it hasn't been as long as people make it out to be. It's just because a lot of people have only recently got onto the game in yeah, the past, their probably whole life. Six, three yeah. years, right? So their it's whole life their is whole... just room blades. I think yeah. there's a bit of a, a bit of that which that's going on. Um, but you also got to, yeah, I, I think that was the sort of natural progression of the game anyway. That you know, if you go back to what Welcome to Wraith and even Arcane Rising were meant to be about, it was meant to be about people learning how to play this game because it is not that easy to pick up and just run with. And there was always going to, and even when chain was, um, was at its peak in Monarch, my sort of thinking around then was, wasn't so much that, Oh, this is so, so crap that my Katsu deck can no longer ever beat chain anymore. I, I just always, the way I thought it was, of it was, was that this is actually what the game is meant to be. The, the game is meant to be at a higher level than just, Rhinar or Katsu just th- throwing some some attacks at people. It was perhaps too still too strong, and they did obviously make some um, changes because of it. But 
I, I, I feel like it's that's where the, the baseline of the game should be, is this sort of, you've got these um, perhaps some arcane, which might not, you might not be able to block, and, and you've got some attacks coming in, you've got to work out a way to get around it, and that's like the base level, and then going from there, other heroes have different interactions and different things going on that um, allow them to combat that in different ways, or, or get around it in different ways, or, or beat that particular trinity. So, I mean, I don't necessarily have an issue with... Um, Runeblade's current dominance, I think it was kind of always going to get to that point. I just think that uh, they probably, yeah, with with the set coming out now, they're going to need to make some make some adjustments to bring everything back up to that that kind of level. Mm. Yeah, give Bolton For a sure. chance. Yeah, give who a chance? Give Bolton a chance. Oh, I don't want Bolton to have a chance. What the? F- <laughs> I don't know. Just you know, we don't talk about Bolton much, so I'm just I'm putting out you yeah. know putting out some support for the Bolton players out there. Uh, I mean, there's two different there's two different kinds of Bolton players. First of all, there's gentlemen, and then there's degenerates who run save. No, I'm kidding. Oh, but, uh, yeah. yeah, that deck is obviously that's it's uh, that's a whole another can of worms. But as much as I dog on that deck, it's really important that it exists in Flesh and Blood because there is definitely a type of player that freaking loves that kind of play style, right? Like the combo and yeah. just assembling some sort of Exodia that just runs over the opponent. Yeah. Yep. I mean, I like doing that as well, but I just like to do it on the second round of deck. Yeah, on the second cycle, right? <laughs> you want to, you want to be, you want to be, you want to be big brained about it. You want to stack your Luminous Ascensions, and then you want to get back to it, and then you want oh, to pull yeah. it off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sounds good. Yeah, just give me a like some kind of sort of card that opts ten cards from your deck. That might be opting cards. Might be able to get them. <laughs> One day. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Jason. I really hope to see you on the professional circuit in 2022, at least at Worlds, if you can make it. You know, we'll be yeah. chilling in Hawaii, sitting on a beach in in Maui, so the mai drinking some you know, drinking some mai tais yeah. here soon enough. Um, hopefully, right? Who knows where we're going <laughs> with the rest of this cool. beach? Because, uh, yeah, I don't know. But I have big hopes for the competitive season in 2022. Hoping to see you on there. But again, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a pleasure talking to you. And oh yeah, active player turn zero, one initial turn. That's something around. <laughs>